Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. This week, we're going to be continuing our series on deconstructing the deconstruction, um, and Pastor RJ is going to speak about crisis of beliefs. So let's welcome Pastor RJ. Good morning. Okay, so last time we were together, we talked about um, a crisis in faith, and, and I deconstructing, you know, people are doing that right now in this world that we live in today. Today we wanted to continue that with a crisis in beliefs. And crisis, you know, a time of intense difficulty or danger, and, and belief is a state or habit of mind in which trust and confidence is placed in a person or thing. So there's this intense difficulty or danger with the things that we believe. And uh, belief is also something that's accepted or considered to be true, something believed, or a conviction of truth, okay? Now, we have taught about this pattern of meditation or this pattern of belief where your thoughts determine what you believe or your beliefs, and then your beliefs determine your actions, your actions determine your habits, your habits produce a lifestyle, and your lifestyle determines the outcome. So what you believe will often determine how you act. Actually, it's quite simple. Wrong beliefs equals wrong actions, everyone say wrong beliefs produces wrong actions so so what happens is if we're not believing the right things about who we are or who God made us to be or the right things about God then in our lifestyle our actions they're going to produce things that are counter to what God has a plan for your life or counter to what the Bible teaches us we're supposed to live now here at Windsor Christian Fellowship we talk a lot about the identity that God has given us and maturity that he wants us to have. And that's right from the statements of Jesus. Uh, some people call it the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? So Jesus tells us, and then he goes on and says, and love your neighbor as yourself. So what happens is there's this identity piece if you don't understand and know that God loves you, if you don't understand that Jesus came to die for you, and God has a good plan for your life and that you can live as a son or daughter of the king and you represent him here on planet earth, um, you may not live up to the identity that God has given you. You may not be the person that God has called you to be. And, and what happens is your identity in Christ is very different from your identity apart from Christ. Because with Christ, it changes our perspective on who we are and whose we are. And then... When you know him and you face circumstances or situations, it, it helps you with your viewpoint. It helps you with your understanding of how am I going to navigate this with Christ? So in the scriptures, there was these three young Chaldean men that stood up to a king called Nebuchadnezzar who had made an idol in his image that he wanted people to worship whenever he played music. And they stood up to him, and as a result of standing up to him, they were thrown into this really hot furnace. 
And the guys that were tasked with throwing the Chaldean men into the furnace actually died because it was so hot. They were consumed by the heat of the fire. But the three Chaldean guys, they knew who they were. They knew whose they were. They knew their relationship with God. They knew what God had called them to do. They stood up for what was right. And God preserved them in the midst of the fire. And their compatriot, their, their, their buddy down the road, Daniel, when he was told he wasn't allowed to pray to any God but the king, and he prayed to the one true God, and the king had signed a law against better judgment, but he signed the law anyways. And Daniel ended up having to face a, a pit full of hungry lions. Now, how many of you have ever seen a lion hunt? None of you? So I recommend you save your pennies and fly over to South Africa, jump on a safari, and when you're driving through the safari, just watch what they do. Lions would rip a person to shreds if they were hungry. But God shut the mouths of the lions because Daniel knew who he was and he knew his relationship with the creator. And God preserved him. There was another guy, um, David, who went down to the battlefield to bring his brother's food and he was like looking at all the army of Israel going, what's wrong with you guys? This giant comes out and mocks our God and taunts you. Why don't you go out and put him in his place and let the God of the armies of Israel fight for you? David knew who he was. He knew whose he was. He knew his identity. There was a lady named Esther who walked into the presence of the natural king, which should have cost her her life but she was obeying the higher king and she preserved her entire people as a result of her obedience because she knew who she was. Are you understanding this? If you know who you are as a Christ follower today, 2024, it doesn't matter your circumstance. It doesn't matter your situation. It doesn't matter what giant you're facing, whether it's addiction or whether it's mental health, or whether it's some other financial crisis or other problem in your life, with Jesus, he will give you the ability to overcome. With Jesus. We don't do those things in our own power. 2 Timothy 4.18, yes, the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever, amen. And that's Paul talking to his son, spiritual son, Timothy. That's the identity piece I wanted to touch on. And then maturity, we're all supposed to be growing in faith towards maturity, but your faith in maturity is most fully realized with other people, which is why so many scriptures encourage us to serve and to love others. This is how we mature. It's in our interactions with other people in our day-by-day -day life that we grow up. Without other people, if you move and isolate yourself and live alone, you're not going to mature. Why? Because you get everything you want when you want when you live by yourself. But when you interact with others in culture, how many know even when you're driving on the road, people think that they can move in front of you from the wrong lane? <laughs> what yield sign? I was driving with my daughter yesterday. What stop sign? what's wrong with these people it's a stop sign it means stop the point is this we mature in relationship with others because we're given an opportunity to die to what we want to die to ourself and to take on Christ's character the perfect example of this in the scriptures is the marriage covenant 
Husbands and wife is the closest picture the Bible can give us to our relationship with Christ. But if you live in a covenant relationship with your husband or your wife, you have to learn to die to self. And if you don't learn to die to self, your marriage will struggle. Even if you're married to a saint. It'll struggle. It's two people who love one another and die to what they want and they come to an agreement together. Hebrews 5, 11 to 14. There is much more we'd like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you're spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. That's an ouch. That's a pretty strong statement. Basically, he's saying, um, I'd love to talk to you about more advanced concepts, but you're too immature. You know, has anyone ever had a three-year-old in their house? A couple of you? When you have a three-year-old, how many know that when they want what they want, usually logic and reason isn't going to help them understand that they're not going to get what they want? <laughs> no? Yes? They scream, they throw fits, they cry, they kick because they want what they want because they're immature. If you're 15 and throwing a temper tantrum like you did when you are three, there's a problem. Big problem. Immature problem. Okay? You've been believers so long now, you ought to be teaching others. People get upset with us sometimes because I look at them and go, you've been around a long time in the faith. It's time to grow up and start teaching others. What do you mean? I don't want to do that. I'm like, I didn't write it. <laughs> Instead, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic things about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. Someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature and those through training have skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So there's a maturity piece that we have to understand as a matter of our practice and our belief. Remember, I started with wrong beliefs equals wrong actions. And then we have this missional aspect here in the church based on the words of Jesus, go and tell the world about me, go and tell others the good news. It's the mission of the church. You gotta understand the great commandment and the great commission are not the pastor's vision. They're the Bible's commands to his people. Did you catch that? We missionally want to obey the teachings of the scriptures. It's not my mission, it's his mission. It's not my assignment on your life, it's his assignment on your life. God's the one that tells you to go and tell others about him. I'm just repeating what he's written and revealed to you. So when we get into this, deconstructing faith, we hear these conversations today about empirical truth versus convenient truth. So for instance, and, and the scriptures are clear, empirically, truth, scientifically supported evidence of truth, time, true, tested, logically sound truth. Are we catching this? The empirical truths, okay? 
that sexual activity is reserved for a man and a woman in the context of a marriage covenant. The Bible's clear on that. In today's society, there's a convenient truth that I can determine how I'm going to live out my sexual expression. Do you see the difference between the truth from the word of God and the convenient truth of the culture? And I talk about this the last few weeks, especially with this series, because it's such a problem with Christians who are so engulfed in the world's way of thinking that they come into the church and they don't realize that the Bible has called us out of darkness to live in light of his revelation to us. I had one couple tell me that the Bible, we read the New Testament together and it doesn't specifically say that you can't have premarital sex. And I'm like, well, it doesn't say it in those words, but if you look up the definition of the word fornication or adultery, by definition, that means sex outside of the marriage covenant, which means premarital sex. Oh, so that means we're not married? That's right. Just because you get joined in sex does not mean you're joined in a marriage covenant. Just in case there's anyone that still believes that. You see the difference? One is we stand before God and we make a vow to honor and love and serve one another till death do us part. The other is just flesh to flesh. Read any person who's done real research and they will show you, and you can look at the scientific data, that when the attraction is physical to physical, there's a much higher divorce. In other words, premarital sex actually lowers your chance of having a long-term successful marriage. That's the data. You can read the data. I'm just telling you what the data says. Here's some empirical truth from the word of God. So what are some of the core beliefs of Christianity that we want to talk about today when I'm talking about our faith is in crisis or there's a crisis in our beliefs? Who is God? What is your definition of God? How do you relate to God? Um, God created the heavens and the earth. That's a core belief because based on that one statement that God made the heavens and the earth, that changes a lot of things. And no, the science does not argue with what the Bible says. They kind of go hand in hand. And when I was down at the Creation Museum, they did a very good job of talking about how scientists start with their worldview. There is a creator, there is not a creator, and then they interpret the same data through that lens. So a Christian scientist who believes that God created the heavens and the earth can look at the data and they will interpret it through that lens and come to one conclusion. A humanist scientist who doesn't believe in God will start with that premise and they will interpret the data through a different lens. Same data. The person and work of Christ, which is where we find most of the heresy today or most of the false doctrine today or most of the challenges about who Jesus is, his deity, the virgin birth, the sacrificial death of Christ, the burial of Christ and resurrection of Christ, just to name a few aspects of this. We see a lot of challenges to these aspects of our faith today. There's an attack, there's an assault against the core beliefs of Christianity, the things that we believe. Last week, I talked to you about the concept that God is good. Does anyone remember that conversation? And we started talking about the crisis in faith, but we just looked at one concept to illustrate it. So today... I'm going to talk about one concept to try to illustrate the crisis in beliefs. And there's this question that I hear, and I'm going to posture to all of you. Has anyone ever heard this question? How can a loving God send people to hell? Has anyone ever had that philosophical argument? Theological argument? 
conversation. Some of you are going, I don't know. Well, let's, let's work through this. From the time of the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, mankind was destined for hell. That was their lot. It was the location that all humans were going to spend eternity apart from God due to sin, except that humans needed a savior, and that was the only way to avoid eternal death and separation from God. That was the fate of all humans. In Matthew 10, 28, and I just picked this verse to highlight this in the words of Jesus, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Read through Luke 16, Mark 9, Matthew 13, Matthew 25, and many other places. Are you aware that Jesus actually discussed hell more than he talked about heaven? And when Jesus was talking about hell, he went into greater detail and description than he did even about heaven. He talked about the place where the worm doesn't die. He talked about the darkness. He talked about the weeping and gnashing. He talked about all kinds of things with hell. He doesn't give you quite so many descriptions of heaven. And I think part of that is Jesus wants us to be aware of the consequence of not choosing the path of life. Because it was really important to him. And see, this doctrine of hell is something that a lot of churches don't want to talk about today. Oh, everybody goes to heaven. No, all dogs go to heaven. I've heard that. But I've never heard that all people go to heaven. God revealed his love to humanity and he provided a way of escape. You've all heard John 3, 16, but let's look what it says. John 3, 16, this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son in the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Now catch this. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. I will go back to a very basic premise. The sin that God will not forgive is unbelief in the sacrifice of Christ. If you don't believe that Jesus died on your behalf sacrificially, if you don't repent of your sin, that's unbelief. You don't believe that Jesus died for you. That's the one sin you can't get forgiven of. Any sin that you ask God to forgive you of, he will forgive you of. But unbelief, you won't even ask. Did you catch that? Did I explain that good enough? I see a lot of people look at me funny. Let's do this again. If you do not repent of your sin and acknowledge the sacrifice of Jesus. That's unbelief in the work that Jesus did for you, the substitutionary sacrifice, unbelief. That unbelief is why we get judgment. It's why people choose to go to the lake of fire because they don't believe that Jesus is the sacrifice. Any other thing that you've done, any other thing that you could do, you can ask God to forgive you and he forgives you. But it's by faith that you receive forgiveness because you ask for forgiveness. Back to John 3. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came in the world, but people love darkness more than light for their actions were evil. And all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. And I've heard people say that to Christ. I liked you better when you were a sinner and you did this and this and this. 
Well, when you were a sinner, you were a mean <laughs> person. You didn't do nice things, but sometimes people like you better that way because when you start living right, it shines a little bit of light on the darkness in their life. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see what they're doing and that they're doing what God wants. Okay, so we talked about God revealed his love to humanity. God desires everyone to be saved and know him. 1 Timothy 2, 3. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand truth. So the Bible tells us that God desires how many people to be saved? Everyone. It's not everyone except that one person that you don't like or everyone except that one person you hope doesn't make it. God desires that everyone comes to an understanding of truth and everyone be saved. For there's one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Jesus Christ. That is the only way to deal with your sin problem was Jesus who is the mediator who died on the cross to reconcile God's wrath against sin and anger against sin with the fallen state of humanity. And God, Jesus brought us together. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. God is patient and he gives everyone an opportunity to repent. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promises. Some people think he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Humans are given a wonderful power of choice. You are given the power to choose. Can everyone say, I have a choice? Adam and Eve in the garden, they had a choice. Eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil or don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Noah had a choice. Build a boat or don't build a boat. Abraham had a choice. Leave your home or don't leave your home. Moses had a choice. Lead the people or don't lead the people. Are you catching this? The disciples had a choice. Follow me or don't follow me. Come follow me. They said yes to Jesus. They didn't have to say yes. In fact, later Jesus is preaching and you know, there was the 12 and then it went to 200 and then there was the multitudes and then suddenly the multitudes went away because they didn't like his teaching. And Jesus is looking at his disciples, where'd they go? Are you guys gonna leave too? They had a choice. You have a choice today, 2024. Now, theologians have talked about the free will of God on the sovereignty of God, the free will of man versus sovereignty of God for years. They go back and forth and debate this. It's two sides of the same coin. I talked about this last week. You can't really understand the free will of man without understanding the sovereignty of God. <laughs> At the end of the day, you have a choice. Submit to God's plan for your life or reject God's plan of salvation for your life. It's your belief if you believe in him, then you repent and you obey his commands. If you don't believe in him, you won't repent. You won't obey his commands. You'll do what you want to do. You're given that choice. Any way you look at the debate, at the, end of the, at the end of it, you have a choice. When we talk about things like the problem of evil, which I'm not going to develop today because I would need another 20 or 30 minutes. Um, it's another thing that challenges people's beliefs. You know, how could a loving God let, you know, in choice... You have to understand something. You alone are ultimately responsible for your actions. You alone are responsible for the things that you do. You're responsible for the things that you say. 
No one can make you do anything against God's will. People try to convince you. People can influence you. People can pressure you. People could coerce you. But you have a choice. When we look at this whole I'm responsible for my actions thing in 2024, truthfully, I see a lot of finger pointing out there in the culture. It's his fault, it's her fault, it's my parents' fault, it's the government's fault, it's the dog's fault, but all dogs go to heaven, so it can't be the dog's fault. (laughs) Victoria's like, yay. You're responsible for your actions and your choices. You can blame other people for your actions, but you are responsible for the outcome. And and here's the thing. The one who chooses to not obey God in this life, people that reject Jesus, they reject God, they don't want to live for God, they want to live for themselves, they want to do what they want. When they get to the judgment, when they get to the next life, God is not going to force them to live according to his teachings and take on his nature and character. He's going to enact their choice. He's going to allow them to live how they chose to live. Romans 3, 23, for everyone's sin, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin and people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. The sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do at this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness for he himself is fair and just and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we've done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based on faith. So we're made right with God through faith and not obeying the law. So there's two choices at the end of the day for humans. Stay in our sinful state or by faith accept God's plan of redemption. A or B, there is no C. (laughs) Well, I don't want to choose. Then you've chosen yourself and you've chosen a, a fate against God. In the end... Here's the conclusion of the matter. God does not send anyone to hell. Let me finish. Don't cut the tape there. Don't cut the video there and say he's preaching heresy. God allows people to choose to go there. You choose heaven or hell. It's a choice that God gives you and he simply enacts the choice that you make. If you choose heaven in this life, then he will allow you into heaven. If you choose hell in this life, then he will allow you to go to hell. You are 100% responsible for your choice. No one can choose heaven or hell for you. It is a decision that rests solely in the heart of the individual. Stand up with me. You know, the justice of God and the judgment of God intercepted at the cross when Jesus died. 
when God judged the sin of all humanity with its full punishment, which was death, when he poured out his wrath on Jesus when he was on the cross, Jesus, the Lamb of God, became the sacrifice on your behalf because of God's overwhelming love and his great love for you and me. And as a result of that, his justice and his judgment were married into one act. God in his love and mercy sent Christ to fulfill his justice and his judgment against sin. Jesus, as we sit here today, 2024, Lord, sometimes our beliefs get challenged, but we wanna look to you and the truth from your word about who you are and how much you love us. As your word has stated, you love us. You've loved us so much, you sent Jesus to die for us. So today, as your followers, as this family of believers, Lord, we look to you. As we come to the table, we lay aside offense and guilt and shame, unforgiveness, and we extend mercy to those that have wronged us. We forgive, we release. But Jesus, as your body was broken, I thank you that as we celebrate your death today, that your healing power is released into this group of people that are here today and listening. Father, it was by your stripes of Jesus on the cross that healing was purchased for humans. So I speak life, health, healing, alignment to spines and bones and joints, health to the cells, that sickness and disease has to leave in the name of Jesus. And we, the family of believers, can choose life this day and health and hope in Jesus' name. And the cup, which really represents the blood of the new covenant, that God cut with us, covenant, covenant-keeping God. Jesus, today, we thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your mercy and grace that you poured out to us, even when we didn't deserve it. You made a way for us to be with you and the Father in heaven forever. Help us to put aside our immaturity, the works of the flesh, our own way and our own path, and let us choose you, the way, the truth, and the life today. And that by faith in what you've done for us, you give us eternal life with you forever. Release your people from depression and anxiety and discouragement and despair. And the curse is broken off of our lives because of the blood of Jesus. So this day we thank you. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Pastor. You know, there's, um, saying in the first service, there's a lot of things that um, Pastor's been encouraging us and, and teaching us on. But this topic in particular is so central to our walk as Christians. Don't miss out on this. I want to leave you with two thoughts. 
thought number one. Idolatry is looking to something or someone else other than God for your identity. You heard Pastor talk about that. For your purpose and truth. This is called stinking thinking. Everyone say stinking thinking. Thoughts become beliefs when you allow them to settle into your heart. They become convictions way, way deep down on the inside of you. Luke 6.45 says, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So listen to what you say when the pressure is on. And you'll understand what's in your heart, what you truly believe. Now, how many of you can say, Ugh, I don't like everything that I hear coming out when the pressure is on? Well, guess what? You get something, there's something you can do about that. Pastor talked about that too. It's an opportunity for us to mature. And, and maturity, well, how do we mature? Maturity is first repent. Apply the truth of God's word to your life and guard your heart. Do those things, those three things, and you'll move from milk to meat. Proverbs 4:23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the source of life. We have to be so careful what we let down there because it will ultimately drive our behavior and it has the power to create our environment. So just think about the decisions you make every day, the things you do on autopilot. You don't even think about them anymore. You don't even question them anymore. You just act out what you believe. This is how powerful beliefs are. But the pastor said we have a choice. Repent in the Bible is the Greek word metanoia, which means to change your mind. Change the way you think about everything. Well, what are you changing it to? You're changing it to what he says. You're changing it so that you align with what he says about you and what he says about himself. Pushing those thoughts deep down on the inside of yourself so that you can run on autopilot again, but this time with different outcomes. Everybody say amen. Second thought, ever since our decision in the Garden of Eden, choosing to be the master of our own destiny, eating from the tree of knowledge, deciding that we know better than God what is best for us concerning right and wrong, no longer allowing God to lead us. Ever since that day, there has been a longing in our hearts, a longing in our hearts for reconciliation with our Father. Some of us have come back, but there are many that are still estranged from Dad. They're trying to satisfy that longing with all kinds of things. I know I did. Don't be distracted by their behavior. Listen through the Holy Spirit. I used to pray all the time when having conversations in the marketplace as I led my organization. I used to pray, Father, help me to listen with your ears and give me eyes to see into the heart of man. You know, Jesus was a master at drawing out the heart. 
getting people to confess what lies they believe about themselves and about God. Those lies that are driving their behavior and the conversation with the woman at the well was certainly about that. And in the Garden of Eden, God asked Adam questions to get him to speak out loud the lies that he was believing about himself and about God. So in your spheres of influence, we need to listen with the ears of our Heavenly Father. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to hear what the real issues are when people are speaking. And eventually, at the right time, he will give us the words of truth that will help to satisfy their weary soul. The point is, more listening, less speaking. Transformation comes when God's truth connects with their hearts and erases false beliefs. Our job is cultivation, cultivation, cultivation. Cultivating relationships. Being present to their moments. He does the work of salvation and sanctification, not us. But he works in and through us. I send you off with these two scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Sounds like identity there. Knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. And the second scripture, 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 to 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope, through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Windsor Christian Fellowship, you have been equipped. Now go. Amen.